Experiment Nation, I'm Romil, and this is Adventures in Experimentation. Our panel of CRO professionals leverage their years of experience in UX and conversion copywriting to field common CRO questions. If you are new to the field, or even if you are a veteran, you'll always learn something new. How's it going, everyone? Today, I'm your host, Positive John, for yet another Experiment Nation podcast. For the ones who don't know me, I'm a data enthusiast in a long relationship with normal distributions. I'm currently having a lot of fun leading growth experiments in iTech for one of our products and advocating the awesome work that we do inside and outside a company. With the Experiment Nation team, we don't just talk about testing. It's not just talk the talk. We also walk the walk. So today we're testing a slight different format for our chat. Three different angles from one relevant topic in the world of experimentation. Before we dive, Marion, Eden, quick introductions, please. Hi, everyone. So I'm Marion. I'm a French uh, CRO specialized in e-commerce since the past six years. And I worked in different industries, liquor, wine and spirits, let's say, SaaS company. And yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Eden. I'm a conversion copywriter and acquisition strategist, and I work with SaaS tech and e-commerce companies on everything pretty much related to copy. So ads, landing pages, websites, whatever you can do to try and get more highly qualified lead through the door, through to sales. Right. So today's topic, it's quite controversial, which makes it a fun discussion, in my opinion. We're going to review and learn what is CRO today and how does a company know if they're doing it right? Is it even possible to simplify this in a couple rules of thumb? I don't think so, but that's going to be part of it. So today's topic comes from the Experiment Nation community, discussions and fresh work experiences that we thought it would be valuable to share with y'all. So let's dive in. What is CRO today? Conversion rate optimization. Let's have a round of short definitions and a vibe check with different angles here. Marianne, I know you've got some amazing, I've seen your notes for this topic, so I'd love to hear your perspective on this first. Okay, so in order to prepare this podcast, I actually look up on how renowned CRO experts would describe conversion rate optimization in the context of e-commerce. For Pilara, it's about understanding your visitor better and providing them with a better experience, helping them to complete their task faster and simplifying their journey. For Chris Goward, for instance, conversion optimization is the art of getting more revenue generating action from the same number of visitors. Those two definitions are very true. But when it comes to e-commerce specifically, I've read something from Johan von Thunder because it's one of the voice I trust the most when it comes to e-commerce. One of the advice I read from him and I actually remember quite often is don't make the scope of your CRO program too narrow. There are three ways to grow your business, all of which can be impacted by CRO. So it can be increase the number of customers, increase the average order value, and increase the number of times they buy from you. So three actual options. What I would just add to those really cool descriptions is to get under the skin of your customer. According to what you know from him, draft an easy, fast, and enjoyable online journey. Don't try too hard. If you know your customer perfectly, then you will think the same way they do and conversion will come easy. 
I want to insist on the last word, enjoyable, also because I'm currently reading a book about emotional design that's helped me make CRO even further than before. I have an objective not only to help users achieve their goal easily, but also to make sure they're having a good time on their journey. And I think that makes a huge difference for them to have humor, to have emotion, to feel something while being on a website and actually shopping. And it's something you can do or you can easily imagine on an offline journey, but is more difficult to create through a computer. And I think that would be the extra mile I would add to those descriptions. Bring the emotion to the customer, make them feel something and make their journey enjoyable. Marianne, that's really fascinating because a lot of what you said really crosses over into how conversion rate optimization and copywriting interact, specifically conversion copywriting, interact with each other. So there's a lot of synergies there. And I really liked how you touched on the point. It's about knowing your customer, about knowing your visitors as well as possible, as up and close and personal as you can with them, not just hyper-personalization, like adding their first name or changing colors and things like this, but to actually get down deep into what they like, what are their jobs to be done? What are they looking for in the types of products? How their upbringing, their history their language, everything kind of interacts and influences how they think and how they interact with different products and what kind of experiences they like as well. So in relation to that, so CRO from a copywriting perspective is about exactly what you said. It's like digging deep into the research to find the messages that resonate the most with your audience and then strategically applying to the different marketing assets that you have. So whether it's an ad, a landing page, website, copy, email, or whatever. And it's really tied into that same principle And positive, John, I think we're finding a lot more similarities than you initially planned for. The core of it is getting as close to the customer as possible and to make sure that they can understand information clearly. They can understand it in a way that's enjoyable to them. They can extract the information that they need easily and quickly. So their user experience is, as you mentioned, Marion, a positive one. And so in saying that, I mean, you should lean into the research with conversion copywriting. So it's leaning into speak, actually speaking with customers and collecting that rich voice of customer data as much as possible. We want to find out what are their jobs to be done? What are their pain points? What are their desires and dreams? So we can collect all of that material for testing. And then it's about layering all these different messages, all these different information on top of each other. You can call it in a value stack. It's not just about stacking the information and using the right copy, but how that copy as well fits into the different stage of the visitor's experience or the different asset that they're on a landing page or a website or a product page. And as well, so making sure the information satisfies both system one and system two thinking, as well as making sure that you satisfy different personality types. And I know Talia Wolf leans into the ocean personality framework. And so, and Joanna Weave from Copy Hackers also draws a lot on personality when talking about CRO and copywriting. Okay, strong references. Let me echo two things that I heard here, getting close to the customer. And one thing that Marion mentioned, so there's three ways to grow the business that can somehow be impacted directly, indirectly by CRO. I really like this idea of you can increase number of customers, you can increase your average order value, or you can increase the number of times they buy from you, so your purchase frequency. I really like this. It's more on the tactical level, but this is where I feel I'm going to add potentially a more product or a conversion program angle to our definition of CRO today. So let me set foundations for this answer. So for me, 
CRO is a workflow, part of experimentation, which becomes this umbrella term for really a mental model. Experimentation is this overarching framework for decision-making where A-B test becomes just one of the methodologies for collecting quantitative evidence, for increasing confidence for a certain decision that we want to make. Again, experimentation becomes this framework for decision-making. This was one thing that I captured from Chad Sanderson in a recent event in the past week that I really liked it because I also see that in this industry, A-B test got too much correlated to CRO. So, okay, CRO equals A-B test. And at the end of the day, if we're looking at this overarching experimentation umbrella term, A-B test is just one of the many methodologies. But let me go one step further because I like clarifying this idea of experimentation as a mental model. I really believe that every project initiative for both like business and life can go through an experimentation process if you start the process with a very clear problem statement and a trustworthy way of measuring success. If you have that, you can just experiment with things in the daily life. But answering to the question specifically to CRO, and I personally like this discussion, I'm somehow biased because of this, it's very fresh in my mind, this topic, because in iTech, together with the experimentation chapter, we've been putting a lot of time to refresh what we call our operational framework for experimentation across our product teams. And right now in iTech, experimentation means product initiatives, CRO, safety net, those three as our active streams, research and advocacy as the like passive streams. They're always happening at a given point in time. And under this frame, note like CRO becomes just this specific workflow, which has a dedicated squad. So dedicated squad is also a keyword. We're going to be talking about that later. This episode is brought to you by LiftMap. LiftMap is an experimentation project management software designed to help you manage every aspect of your testing program. The LiftMap team is currently offering Experiment Nation listeners 10% off. Visit liftmap.com forward slash podcast to learn more and book a free demo. So this dedicated squad is working on improving metrics on pages that are not part of a larger product initiative, but still very relevant to the business. And they're running in parallel to a long-term development with this more short-term lenses to performance. So they run in parallel with bigger commitments from the product that are running from this more long-term thinking. And the way we define success for CRO as a workflow today is really like this high velocity and lean testing, which implies less research if compared to product initiatives, which is going to run more as kind of a design sprint, which has a larger lift of research. This is a little bit of my take and how I've been understanding CROs, just really this workflow that is part of this experimentation umbrella term overarching way of designing operations. But based on these three shared angles, like I'm curious now, how does a company know if they're doing CRO right? Is it even possible? Do we think it's possible to simplify this in a couple rules of thumbs or dimensions to be considered for this feeling of, yep, we're doing CRO and this is the way. So based in the angles that we have here, how do you see this going? Are we able to simplify and define? Um, very interesting. Well, how does a company know if they're doing it right? I think 
research, analysis, research, analysis, test, loop is the right way to go. When decided what to test, resist the temptation to follow your gut or copy your competitors. That's also very important. And don't expect all your experiments to be winners. Some will make no difference, while others might even be negative. And that's the very point of it. Tests that are neutral or negative are not a waste of time. If you learn something from it, that's also another rule of thumb that I think is extremely important. And you'll learn that your users don't appreciate this or your users are indifferent to this. But in no way, tests that which are neutral or negative are a waste of time. And to me, a great team would include an analysis, data analyst, ideally developer who knows how to maybe test a tool, a UX, a copywriter, of course, and a leader who will be in charge of coordinating and priorities. But each person should be responsible of their own perimeter. And I think if all of those things are correctly implemented, there is a great chances that the company is doing right. Okay, let me echo this idea, Marion. So you're suggesting that your dream team has an analyst and the experiment owner in split positions. So they have their own scope and work remit, and it's just easier to operate CRO that way. They have to work together, but everyone should have his own responsibility just making sure that everyone in the team don't think the other person is doing it for them, kind of. But of course, it's a teamwork. That's why it's a team. I see. Eden, I'm wondering your take on this from your perspective, this idea of, yep, we're doing CRO right. What do you think? Well, I had my initial thoughts, but having heard from you two, it sounds like everything we've talked about so far, CRO, it means different things to different people. And so whether you're doing it right, I think it depends I don't know if it's something that you can put a blanket definition on, which is something that we also discussed. I think on what your objectives are, what you're using CRO for. So whether it's from a product perspective or a program perspective, or it's in terms of business goals and outcomes perspective, I think there's a lot of different factors in play here that go into that definition of how can you tell if you're doing CRO right. I really liked what Marion touched on in terms of building a team. I find myself more on the execution side and less on the planning side. So that's why I have a slightly different perspective. But if you're looking at it strictly from a copywriting perspective and strictly from the idea that you're looking to help advance certain business goals or outcomes to hit certain KPIs or you have a plan in advance and you're looking to help achieve those goals with optimizing the copy. In that perspective, you're doing CRO right if you're testing lots of different angles. So it's not just focusing on what words you're using, but tying the words back into what's kind of the motivational core driver of psychology behind the words and how that is connecting to the deeper business goals or objectives that you're looking to achieve. So for example, it's not just about testing different calls to action like CTA button colors in which we could groan on about all day, but it's testing fundamentally different types of calls to action. So for example, you have a call to action that's clear and action oriented, like try it free or book a demo versus a call to value that speaks to their jobs to be done, say feel better starting now or look your best with X. Or you might be comparing in terms of the visitor or customer's journey to see how visitors are responding to the different types of copy. Or you might try a long form page with lots of copy and storytelling compared to a shorter page with less copy, but that it's straight to the point. 
whether or not you're weaving in enough elements to satisfy the five personality types and jobs to be done and not just two-dimensional buyer personas. Yeah, this is what I feel enriches a lot this discussion. You just mentioned Marian brings this idea of planning. I really like how she started this discussion of the dream team already. You bring the perspective of someone seeing CRO from the execution side. I feel like this is where the conversation shines. Let me give my take because somehow I'm close to how Marian is thinking. I mentioned previously, like my keyword was this dedicated squad. So I believe that many CRO programs, they struggle because of shared resources. So under the assumption of this experimentation framework in iTech, I'm using this as my frame. The main difference between CRO and product initiatives is this fast-paced environment to like hashtag always be testing. However, if when this team wants to build the next experiment, they need to negotiate forever with product manager for development resources, it simply doesn't work. And the same will apply for the copywriter, the product designer. So that's why I see the dedicated squad that runs in parallel with everything else product related being vital. It's really about allowing this dedicated squad in a focus and mind space for testing and learning everything that it's possible, like fine-tuning relevant metrics for the business with lower research levels, as I mentioned, when compared to product initiatives that runs as design sprint. It's just a different characteristic of that workflow. And I would complement, I would go one step further in terms of people, like what I would call a dream team. I would have the experiment owner a front-end developer that really understands building and code integrations with the testing tool, as Marion mentioned. A conversion copywriter, Eden, I'm biased. I worked with you. I know how much conversion copywriting adds value to a team like that. So at least part-time dedication. A product designer with a UX flavor for supporting some lightweight research, like heat maps, scroll depth, click maps, potentially some interviews. So it's good to have this product designer with a UX flavor. It's what I would look for. And adding on top of the dream team from Marion, I would add the QA engineer at least part-time. So if this team is under this idea of always be testing, I hope that in a fast-paced environment, breaking things into production fast, but the QA engineer is there at the end of the day to find the problems and fix even faster. And here, like the difference, I assume that the experiment owner has this flavor of analyst that can design the test when it comes to statistics of power analysis and post analysis for cooking the data, analyzing knowledge sharing and whatnot. I feel like it's the only difference there. So I just have a question because I think this is something that we touched on and now I'm wondering, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm wondering because if two of those points aren't somewhat con contradictory, you said that sometimes there are these different team members are fighting for different resources in terms of testing or everyone on the dream team is kind of busy doing their own thing. So wouldn't that mean that you need to do more research early on because doing that research is kind of resource light early on you can have a couple of people doing that core research but then once you have all that data collected you have a lot more meat on the bone in order to apply to a test moving forward so it's not just like you say hashtag always be testing when you're actually testing you're more likely to see kind of the results that you're hoping to get as a result of the test so as in the more research that you do yes it takes time and it's not something that you can do if you're looking to do a sprint i totally agree with that 
it's difficult to do that because interviews take time, research takes time. It's time intensive. Yeah. But in terms of other resources, it's very much less intensive. It's less of a drain on those other resources. So that's just why I'm wondering in that sense, if it's not contradictory to kind of to actually do more research then early on and to try and gather more research and more evidence to make the case for this is what we want to test. These are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. And these are the results that we're hoping to get because we are implementing A, B, C, D that we found as a result of the research. So I'm just curious. Again, I know you because you're more on the planning side and more on the execution side. I'd love to just hear what you think about that. I think your question is absolutely on point and very perceptive of you to find this contradiction. And this is one of the things that when I'm now presenting this idea of our refreshed operational framework, I always make sure to explain that this works for iTech, but not necessarily is translatable to some other environment and some other ways companies might operate. Why do I say that? Because one of the things that we learned along the way of creating this framework is that the CRO stream of work, like this workflow, is very well applied for products that have more traffic. And then we also learned that sometimes for these heavier traffic websites, it's a lot faster learning for you to put a test to run and learn out of the conclusions and keep iterating than putting the research up front. But this is a very specific scenario where you just have more traffic to learn from. And also need to take it with a grain of salt that in iTech, we have a very mature conversion program meaning that we have this repository of thousands of tests that we run across different products that this CRO team can just learn. One thing that I always like to mention is this idea of standing in the shoulder of giants. In this perspective, standing in the shoulder of winner experiments that we already learned from different products that maybe in this particular one who is executing a CRO workflow, they didn't test yet. So there's already research from another product that can be leveraged from an experiment that it's a winner and basically adapted to that new product, new environment, tested, validated in a faster pace. For CRO, because research is this passive stream in our framework, think that research is always being provided for the different streams. It's just that the way we like to understand CRO to be in this dedicated team that it's just moving a lot faster than compared to product initiatives, it has lower capacity for research. It's just the characteristic, but research is being provided. But it's very different when we compare side by side with a product initiative. And let me paint a very like simple example. A navigation system of a product wouldn't really go through a CRO from the get-go. If this is a problem to be solved for the business and we prioritize that way, because this is more of a larger change and it has a navigation system touches every single user in the product. So the splash zone of the change is very large. The effort is also large. So for that, we wouldn't classify as a CRO. We would classify as a product initiative, something that we work on in a quarter time. So the time frame is also different. And therefore, the research capacity that goes, if we look at this into a really like design sprint, that we do research, we have a couple questions that we need to answer in a discovery period. We diverge in thoughts, like what are the possible ways to solve for that? And then we converge towards a solution. 
It's just a very different characteristic. It's just different putting it side by side. And that's why I'm trying to just paint a better picture of it's not really contradictory. It's just that inside this environment of a more mature conversion program that has products with more traffic, CRO having a lower research stake compared to product initiatives makes a lot of sense. But again, in our environment, maybe for your company, it will not work and it will need to be adapted in a certain way. What do you think? I really like how you explained it, Positive John. So here's a question. There's so many different definitions and so many different applications, but it sounds like the, the underlying theme here is that it's pushing for growth, whether that's in terms of product initiatives or if it's business objectives or if that it's advancing whatever arm of the business or company that it's supposed to advance. Does that resonate? We're trying to look for patterns here in everything that we've discussed about today. No matter which kind of perspective you're looking again from product initiatives or if you're looking from business objectives, it sounds like all CRO, the focus is on driving business growth. Is that too much of a blanket statement? Is that too general? I mean, obviously it means different things to different elements and to different teams within a company, but at the same time is kind of the core theme that we're dealing with here. I think saying that would completely ignore the customer-centric point of view, where to me, I just want the customer to find whatever he's looking for and to find it the easiest way and not to find my company product or my company. I just want the person who has a problem to find his solution and to find it easily on a website, to feel comfortable, to enjoy his journey, to actually think he's having a good time while also trying to solve a solution. So to me, it's about business growth, but it is also about helping the customer to find what he wants because this is what will help you find business growth. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I'm all on board about doing the right thing for the customers. And I see that and you'll hear it. There's so many people are giving this time on LinkedIn or on any other social media platforms. Everyone is talking about how it's the importance of the customer and making sure the customer experience is amazing. And that as being the vehicle for driving business growth. But CRO is the tool that you use to help bridge that gap between the customer experience and business growth. I really like where we're getting into the, how customer-centric the discussion goes. One book suggestion that I'm reading lately, Working Backwards, it's kind of the culture book from Amazon that really explains this idea. Start with the user satisfaction and then work backwards on whatever we need to deliver, to develop, to ship, to test, to make that happen. Very nice as a conclusion of this more customer-centric point of view that we reached. So we have it. Three different experience angles on what is CRO today? Do you think we missed anything critical to a proper definition here? Reverse social, so engage with us on LinkedIn with your opinion, and we hope the discussion helps agitating and improving your thoughts on this topic. You have a topic that you'd like three different angles on it, same deal. Suggest relevant questions you might have in mind, and we'll consider them for next episodes of our adventure. It's enough for today, and we talk later. This episode was edited by Hilda Bastidas. Hilda is part of the Buffet de Nutricionistas team, a digital space to learn about nutrition in a friendly and simple way. It has never been so easy to clear up doubts about food. Visit their Instagram at instagram.com forward slash Buffet de Nutricionistas.